Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Now, Jesus doesn't call us all to give everything away, but he certainly calls us all to take whatever is on the throne of our hearts and remove it and allow him that place there. But you see, here's what Jesus knows, and here's what maybe a few of you need to know, that whatever you give up cannot be compared with what you get. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Galatians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, in a message titled, Sowing and Reaping. Now, here's Pastor Brian. When Jesus says, you know, when he's talking about the camel going through the eye of a needle, some people have tried to kind of soften what Jesus was saying. And, and I heard this as a young Christian that, well, he's not talking about the eye of a needle like, a, you know, a needle that you're going you're gonna to put thread through. Uh, the eye of a needle, they, they said, was a small gate outside the city that would be open at night when the main gates of the city were closed. And, you know, people were arriving at the city at night, and they would oftentimes arrive on camels. They would have to go through this small gate. Now, this was a challenge for the camel, but if you stripped the camel down and if you took off all of the burdens and everything, uh, you could, the camel could wiggle its way through. And so what they end up saying is that, you know, if you kind of strip yourself down and if you, you know, you can wiggle your way in, um, that's what Jesus was talking about. Uh, no, he wasn't. Jesus was talking about a, a real camel and a real needle with an eye on it. Jesus is telling us that this is impossible. And that's what the, the, the illustration makes it clear. It's an impossibility. Those who trust in riches cannot enter the kingdom. It's not possible. Well, then who can be saved, the disciples say. And then Jesus adds, well, with God, all things are possible. See, God has a way of even dealing with the rich to bring them to a place where they no longer trust their riches and then they can thereby enter the kingdom. So wealthy people, we know this is a fact, wealthy people, even extremely wealthy people have and still do enter the kingdom of God. So how does that happen based on what Jesus says here? Well, here it is. Their wealth is not their savior, it's their servant. And through it, they glorify God. See, again, let me say it. God is not against wealth. He's not against the accumulation of wealth. He's not against people pursuing wealth. But if we're going to do that, we must ultimately do it for his glory. Because, you know, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Anything that any person will ever accumulate is only possible because God made it all. But, but that's the reality. So, you know, even now in our current cultural moment, there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, capitalism is seen as a bad thing and socialism is beginning to be seen as a good thing. And it's the distribution of wealth and kind of like the hatred of the ultra-wealthy 
And, you know, I mean, they talk about that. And sometimes it's like the wealthiest people in the world that are saying that stuff. So you're like, oh, maybe if you got rid of your stuff and then said it, we might take it more seriously. But uh, as long as you're living like you're living and preaching at us about how people shouldn't be rich, except you, evidently, uh, we're not going to really buy that. <laughs> at least I'm not going to buy that. Um, but, but, you know, again, I'm saying that because... You know, people, people, you know, people have even said something like, uh, well, socialism is the most consistent with a biblical uh, picture of what an economy should look like. Well, that, that isn't true. But, you know, be that as it may, uh, the, the major point that I want to make here, again, is that God is not against wealth. And God actually blesses people. But what he is against is people worshiping their riches and living for them and and making them an idol and then oppressing other people and so forth you know as a result of that so so the difference is whether whether wealth is your savior or wealth is your servant now how does one know if money is your savior rather than your servant or how do you know if your identity is in your wealth rather than in Christ now, of course, for many people, this is their identity. Their identity is all about the money. And you know probably that this is true, that many people are so consumed with having a, a, a wealthy identity that they will actually fake being wealthy just to, to maintain the, the image that, you know, I am a rich person. And you can find people all around Orange County and L.A. County and Southern California who are doing that very thing. They come off as, you know, wealthy, successful and all of that. And then, boy, you see the debt they're in and all that. It's a, it's a facade. But it's an image that they're, they're trying to uphold because that's their identity. So how do you know if that's you? Well, here's a couple of things. Number one. If your money is your savior rather than your servant, you can't give it away. You can't give it away. And you especially can't give large amounts of it away. And you can't even give it to the work of God. Now, you know what's ironic, and you, you probably have read these statistics as well. Do you know that the most wealthy people are the most stingy people? You know, when it comes to charitable giving... And, you know, those reports are filed. You can read them here and there. They come out occasionally. It's like the wealthiest people in the country are the biggest cheapskates of all. They don't give anything. They talk about the poor. They talk about helping the poor and all of that. And then at the end, it's like the poor, it's a great cause. You help them. That's, that's their attitude. Somebody else help them. I will be their champion. I will vocalize, you know, and I'll preach against this and that and the other thing, but I won't spend a dollar to help them. I mean, that, that is a reality. That is. So, but why? Why are people like that? Well, because their money is their savior. Their money is their identity. So they can't give away their money. Secondly, if you get scared, if you might have less than you're accustomed to having, then your money is your savior. If the thought of, man, if, if, my, if I got into a lower income bracket, that would just be the end. If, the, if that is there underneath the surface with you, 
then that shows that your priorities are out of whack when it comes to money. And then thirdly and, and finally, when you see people that have more money than you and it irritates you, then you know that you got a problem. And that's called covetousness. That's what it is. And remember, as Francis of Assisi said, after thousands of confessions, he never heard one person confess to covetousness. But how many people have it? Covetousness is not to look at something nice and say, well, that's great, I'd like to have that. It's to look at something nice and say, why does that loser have that? And why don't I have that? And I should have that. And I'm going to get that. And I'm going to actually get a better one than that. Just to show them who's boss here. So if you fall into that category, and look, you don't have to be filthy rich to you know, have these kinds of attitudes. Some people are stingy. Just, that's just the way they are. But these, these are warning signs. Now, there are also many examples of rich people who have and still do use their wealth for the kingdom. I think of um, somebody like H.J. Hines. Now, we know H.J. Hines. Uh, he's no longer here. He lived in the 1800s and invented Heinz 57 sauce and, you know, all the ketchup and all of those condiments that we all have enjoyed for all of our lives. He was the first uh, American to have a global company, an international company. He was a Christian. He was a solid believer in Christ. And, and this was his motto. And what a great motto it was. He said, make all you can honestly, save all you can prudently, give all you can wisely. That was the way he lived. He was the greatest blessing. I mean, he set the standard in the industry early on of how the right way to treat employees and so forth. So he became extremely wealthy, but he didn't make his wealth on the backs of other people. He made his wealth honestly and fairly. And so that's a great example. C.T. Studd, some of you might know that name. He's, he's known as, uh, C.T. Studd was a missionary. He was part of a group called the Cambridge Seven. He was a great cricketer at uh, Cambridge, and everybody thought he was going to go on into this career. But not only that, but he was, his family was extremely wealthy. And he was the heir of his family's fortune, but at the, in his early 20s, he gave it all away. And he went to China with Hudson Taylor. And then he went to India. And then in his later years of life, he went to Africa. So, I mean, in a sense, he did exactly what this young man was called to do and didn't do. So C.T. Studd did that. But a more a current example would be um, somebody like the Hobby Lobby founders, the Green family, and, and other uh, lesser-known wealthy Christians. You know, they give millions and millions of dollars annually to the work of the kingdom, to the cause of the kingdom. They built the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., and they didn't build that because they needed another building. They built it because they want the gospel to go forth. And that, that's the motivation behind that. But they give uh, philanthropically. They give to, uh, you know, I know people that have received gifts from them for, for the work of the kingdom and so forth. And, and so, you know, we see that it's, it's not wealth that God is against. It's 
wealth becoming your God. And Jesus put it this way in an earlier passage. He said, you cannot serve God and mammon. And mammon was a false god in the ancient world who represented wealth and power. You cannot serve both, God and mammon. You'll love the one and hate the other. And so, that's the word of Jesus. Now, because this is really such a serious issue in our ultra-materialistic society, I want to just have us look at a couple of scriptures where, you know, in these two passages that Paul writes to Timothy, he kind of just sums up what the real issues are with this subject of riches. And here's what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10, he said, now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Listen. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown people in ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Now, notice this. Notice what Paul is saying. He says, but those who desire to be rich. Now, he's talking about an inordinate desire to be rich. He's not just talking about people. Who, you know, somebody says, well, you know, I, I, wanna, I wanna make some money. And I wanna make that money because I wanna use that money to bless. I wanna bless people. I wanna see the kingdom of God expanded. He's not talking about a person like that. He's talking about a person who has an inordinate desire to be rich. He's talking about a person who loves money because through that money, they're going to live in opulence and pleasure and excess and all of those things. And so he's got an inordinate desire. He's got the love of money. And then, of course, the word greediness is here. He's talking about a, a greedy person. And he, and he warns, and this is the story of the history of the world, right? He warns that those who do this, those who pursue this, they, in the end, pierce themselves through with many sorrows. They plunge themselves into ruin and destruction. And man, that story has been told a million times over. But he goes on and he says this in verse 17. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. So Paul acknowledges that some of the Christians are rich. What does he say? Command them not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in uncertain riches, but to put their hope in the living God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So can Christians be rich? Yes, absolutely. But they're not to be arrogant. And they're not to trust in their riches, but to trust in the Lord. And you see, again, this is the problem, trusting in riches. You think of, you know, when the stock market has crashed, even recently, not all that long ago. And people jumped off buildings, threw themselves off bridges. I mean, it was it. It was over. And what, what does that tell you about them? What were they trusting in? They were trusting in uncertain riches. And that's the thing with riches. You don't have any control. You might be rich today and flat broke tomorrow. 
have no control over that. But there is a wealth that is untarnishable. It is unassailable in that it can't be stolen from you. It's the riches in Christ. That's where we want to be rich. And so as we close, I want us to go back and I want us to look at one more verse, verse 21. And this is so interesting. It's always been interesting to me because Mark's the only one who describes the scene like this. And so Jesus says, you know, you know the commandments. And then the young man says in verse 20, I have done all these things. I've kept them from my youth. And then listen to what it says in verse 21. Then Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. Mark is the only one who says Jesus loved him. Why does he say that? And, and I mean, this is, this is something that was noted. Now, Mark, remember, I think we talked about this before. Mark is most likely Peter's gospel. Mark's just the guy who penned it for Peter. So Peter's there. He sees this. And he tells Mark, as he's telling him the story, Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Wow, what is that? I mean, there, there was something distinct. Jesus, of course, loves everybody. But there was, there was this moment where there was this sense that there, there was something tender happening here. What was that? Well, let me quote to you again from Timothy Keller because I think he really is onto something with his perspective on this. And this is what he said. He said, Jesus, who at this point is about 31 years old, looked at him and identifies with him. Jesus, too, is a rich young man, far richer than this man can imagine. Jesus has lived in the incomprehensible glory, wealth, love, and joy of the Trinity from all eternity. He has already left the wealth behind him. Jesus says, I'm going into a poverty deeper than anyone has ever known. I'm giving it all away. Why? For you. Now you give away everything to follow me. I won't ask you to do anything I haven't already done. I am the ultimate rich young ruler who has given away the ultimate wealth to get you. Now you need to give away yours to get me. Now, again, this is speculative, obviously, on Keller's part, but you know what? It's really good speculation. <laughs> because I think there's probably something like that happening here. Jesus is, he's looking at this young man and he's like, man, if he only knew who he was talking to. You think you've got riches that are hard to give up? Well, I gave up a little bit myself. And, and you know, again, what did he give up? Well, Paul tells us in writing to the Corinthians, he said, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. That's what happened. That's what happened. And so when Jesus looked at this young man, he loves him and he tells him the truth. You have the wrong God. Your wealth is your God. Give it away. Take up your cross and come and follow me. Because that's what Jesus did. 
And that, remember, let's go back to the beginning. Remember, this guy already knows that something's wrong. He's got it all, but it's not fulfilling him. What, what do I need? What's the next thing? Jesus said, this is it. Give everything away and come and follow me. Now, Jesus doesn't call us all to give everything away, but he certainly calls us all to take whatever is on the throne of our hearts and remove it and allow him that place there. And sometimes it looks radical like this, give it all away. And other times it looks different. It is a giving away, but it, but it does look different. But you see, here's what Jesus knows. And here's what those who have done this know. And here's what maybe a few of you need to know. That whatever you give up cannot be compared with what you get. And Paul, when he's writing to the church in Rome, he says in chapter 12, he says, I beg you by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Give yourself, in other words, give yourself completely to God. Don't hold anything back. He says, which is your reasonable service? Why is it reasonable? Well, that's what Jesus did. He gave everything. And so he's not asking us to do for him anything that he hasn't already done for us. But here's the other side of it. This is where the blessing comes into our life. This is where that thing that I'm lacking, what is that thing? This is where that thing gets addressed. And this is where the lack is taken away and the fulfillment comes. And you see, it's, it's exactly what Jesus himself did, who being in the form of God, he did not try to hold on to that use it to his own advantage, but he humbled himself. He took upon himself the form. Well, he became a man. He was found in fashion as a man. That's step number one. And then he's found in, and then he takes upon himself the form of a slave. And if that's not low enough, he dies a criminal's death on the cross. But remember, because he did this, Paul said, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. And you know, when you do that, when you do that similar thing where you just throw out that image, just get rid of that identity thing that you're holding on to, and you just say, Jesus, I'm going to just identify with you. When you do that, you know what? God will exalt you. God will bless you. And you won't have that yeah, I'm doing this, that, the other thing, and all this, and I've got all that, but what do I lack still? You won't have that anymore. That's, that's taken away. And so, I just think of that, that, you know, I mean, this is, this is Jesus' teaching on the subject of wealth. And I don't know that there's anybody in here that it applies to in the same way that it would here, or maybe anybody listening to me that it might, but may, maybe so. But just know this, in the words of Jim Elliott, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And there's one thing for sure, and Paul said it to Timothy, we brought nothing into this world and we're taking nothing out when we go. And so we are only giving up the things that we can't keep in the first place. But, and when we give them up for Christ, we gain what we can never lose and that's eternal life and glory with him and fulfillment and purpose 
in the present life. August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Embodied, Transgender Identities, the Church and What the Bible Has to Say by Preston Sprinkle. What does it mean to be male or female? Is it okay for a male to act feminine or a female to act masculine? Can someone be born in the wrong body and have the soul of another sex? How can I love my trans neighbor, friend, or child in a manner that honors Jesus? Although the topic of transgenderism has been largely avoided, mishandled, or misunderstood by the church, Preston Sprinkle addresses these very questions on a biblical and scientific basis, and he does so with a compassion that has been informed by the voices, needs, and concerns from the people within the trans community. The book embodied transgender identities, the church and what the Bible has to say by Preston Sprinkle is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.